Oh, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's good to see you all. Thank you for being here again. I'm glad that you're with us. I hope already in worship you've been encouraged uh, in our time of worship and our time of just uh, hearing the spoken word. And I hope you're encouraged in these next few moments as we prepare to hear uh, the word of God preached. And by God's grace, we will all seek a better understanding of his truth. Well, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that we are walking through uh, Paul's letter to the Church of Philippi. This is the book of Philippians. Uh, before we jump into that, I've been really encouraged this morning and uh, talking to several brothers already who uh, have come forward, who are looking forward to more options for them to step into a role of teaching and preaching. And uh, we're going to get that opportunity this next week as... Um, Boy, there's that noise again. Look at there. We just talked about this. We had this happen last week too, didn't we? So anyway, we've got a weird popping noise happening in uh, my mic. If that happens uh, several times, I'll probably mute it so we are well aware. But anyway, just going back, just looking forward to to hearing from some brothers over the next few weeks teach and preach for us uh, next week. Uh, I'm excited and encouraged uh, to know that Jason Kalaski will be back in the pulpit preaching Philippians. So he's got the very next section of Philippians. So uh, that's a good news thing for me. It's encouraging to have brothers who can faithfully preach the word of God from the pulpit. At the same time, it's encouraging to know that if I screw up today, this brother's going to correct it next week. Okay, so I'm really uh, thankful for that. So Jason, thank you, brother, uh, for being there. Take good notes today, okay, because if I mess something up, I really... By God's grace, show me some grace and and fix it, okay? So anyway, uh, we are still in Philippians chapter 1, looking again uh, at the second half of verse 18 through verse 26. Again, this is our series that we've called Joyful Unity, and so we are finding Paul in the midst of giving a report on how he is doing. And in the midst of that report, he is now going to teach us and teach the local church how to live and die for the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you need to prepare yourself this morning because we're going to talk a lot about living and a lot about dying as well. But before we jump into our text this morning, I want to ask you a question that I'm sure you've often heard or thought yourself, which is this, what do you live for? Now, I believe this is an important question for us to think about, and yet at the same time, I believe this was an important question for Paul as well in writing to the local church. You see, today, we clearly, in Western society, we care about living. We really do. We spend money on the best doctors. We spend money on the best health coverages and insurance coverages in order to make sure that we get the the best care. Uh, Many of us in the room, uh, not named me, uh, take the time to uh, be disciplined uh, in our eating habits. Uh, I am a disciplined eater as well. Um, I make sure I eat at least three meals a day, okay? What that meal is, that's not for debate, uh, but I definitely do that. But others of us are a lot more disciplined in that area. Many of us have probably moved into the area simply because a doctor told us that we needed to be in better weather. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if given the opportunity of living in beautiful weather and heat and humidity and the occasional hurricane versus living in a place where it snows um, up to 8, 9, 10, 12 inches, 12 feet, even uh, for four months, five months, six months out of the year, I will take my chances with a hurricane any day of the week. But here's the reality. We do all of these things. We go see our doctors. We, we get the best coverages. We take on uh, the dietary needs that we need to take on. And yet the reality is we still have no idea how long we will live. 
So Paul, in recognizing the need to live for something in order to live well, from a prison chained to another man, teaches us about the life that is worth living and a death that is worth dying. In fact, it's all going to be summarized when we get to verse 21 when Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul's literally going to say to us this morning, look, living is about serving Jesus Christ. Dying is about being with Jesus Christ. And because I believe in this statement, Paul tells us, I will rejoice. So this morning, I want us to look at why Paul is able to rejoice when it comes to the life and the death that he is called to live and endure. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up uh, in the second half of verse 18, and we're going to read through verse 26. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would encourage you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now again, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi from prison. Paul writes... Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day and for the opportunity that we have to now be in this place, to be able to worship you in song, to be able to worship you through prayer, to be able to worship you through hearing your word spoken. Father, we praise you for these things. And Father, we now ask that in these next few moments that we have together, Father, be glorified as we seek a better understanding of your truth. Father, I pray that we would be a people of grace, a people of mercy, a people of hope, of people who see that our joy rests in the fact that we know you. Father, help us to be a unified people in a time that is so divisive. Father, I pray that we would look to you and see in you all that we need. All that can ever satisfy comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, Father, we ask now that in these next few moments that you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified. So prepare our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to your truth. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Now, as we see here in uh, this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul starts to explain his present situation to the Philippians. And clearly, based on Paul's explanation, we can already rest assured that the church at Philippi was clearly concerned for Paul. So if I had to put this in modern day times to kind of give you an idea of the, of the concern they probably had for Paul, I would equate that to if all of a sudden our pastoral leadership decided to, to go on a mission trip together, and then all of a sudden in the midst of that mission trip, you eagerly awaited our return, but then something happened and we didn't return. Okay, I would hope you would be concerned in that moment. I'm not sure many of you would be. You might be okay uh, with that moment. But either way, I hope there would be some cause of a concern. You may not have heard from us at that moment, so you have no idea what's happened. You begin hearing rumors about the area that we are in, but the reality is none of those rumors are true until you get word. And so now here is Paul writing to the church at Philippi to give them word on what has been going on, on what is currently happening, and what he believes the Lord has for him moving forward. You see, Paul in our text today is going to try to comfort the church at Philippi. He's going to explain to them that his suffering has led to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the the palace guard were now hearing the good news of the gospel. And so Paul didn't want the church to worry because he knew that Christ would be exalted both in his life but also in his death. So before launching into his words of instruction and his words of encouragement, Paul takes a moment to comfort his friends through his present situation. You see, I hope that we see this morning that we have Paul speaking to his friends and telling them that he is going to rejoice and he will rejoice in his present circumstance. So through Paul's words and through his writing this morning, let's look at how and why we should rejoice in our present moment. So this morning, we're going to answer the question, why should we rejoice? Well, Paul answers this first in verse 18 and verse 20 when he says, because our goal is to honor Christ. You see, Paul's desire, as we look at this passage again, was to honor Jesus Christ with his entire life. So Paul opens this section, which is actually the end of verse 18, by saying, yes, and I will rejoice. So you see, after explaining his present situation, after explaining what his new life looked like in this present moment, Paul now gives his plan for the future, and notice that his plan involves rejoicing. You see, Paul was confident and joyful despite what it was that he was currently going through. And so we have to ask this question this morning, man, have you ever thought about the plans for your future? Have you ever been asked the question, where do you see yourself in a year? Or where do you see yourself in three years or in five years or in seven years or even in 10 years? Have you ever been answered or asked that question? Have you ever even given thought to that question? I imagine many of us have, but here's the reality, and I want to ask this this morning, honestly, honestly, how many of us have answered that question by saying, I don't know what's going to happen in three years. I don't know what's going to happen in five years, but I do know this. I know my plan is to rejoice in who Christ Jesus is, and I'm going to rejoice in what it is that Christ Jesus is doing in my life. You see, whether you're going to work, whether you're going to school, 
Whether you're living on mission or you're out planning a church, the question is, will you make plans to rejoice in Christ for all of your days? You see, here's the reality that we need to accept this morning. We rejoice in the things that we value. So do we realize in rejoicing? Do we realize that when we rejoice, especially in the midst of suffering, that rejoicing greatly honors Jesus? Now coming back to Paul, you see for Paul, persecution and the thought of his impending trial, persecution and the thought of his impending imprisonment and even death, these things didn't drive Paul to fear, but rather they drove Paul to prayer. They didn't drive Paul to despair, not even for a moment. So when we look at Paul's life, we have to ask ourselves in the midst of hard times, do, do we find ourselves praying when life gets hard or do we spend our days protesting? When all of a sudden we find ourselves in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of uncertainty, does it drive us to our knees in prayer or does it lead us to worry and complain and therefore pout? You see, the reality is trials will come for us. And so the question is, how will we spend our time when we are going through those trials? Will we spend them in prayer. Now at this moment I got to pause for a second and just kind of put in a shameless plug for something we're doing here at our church. You see every Sunday night at five o'clock we gather for the purpose of prayer. Okay if you've not been with us recently on a Sunday night we spend the first part of our Sunday evening praising God. It's a time of adoration. This is where we praise God for uh, his characteristics and his attributes and where we've seen him at work during the week and then what happens after that is whether it's myself or one of our elders we get up and, and we've kind of refocused this time a little bit where we're teaching but it's a smaller chunk that we're teaching. It's more of a, a nugget if you will of truth or a, a word of affirmation if you will and then what we do with the last half of our time is we spend that time in prayer together and we pray for people we pray for our first responders and our military we pray for our nation we pray for healing we pray for a gospel advancement we're going to pray for our gospel communities we're going to pray for our missionaries we're going to pray for those who we are trying to lead to come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and so I'm going to ask you come join us on Sunday nights at five o'clock why? Not because I'm trying to build an attendance. Why? Not because I'm counting numbers. We're doing it because prayer needs to become a regular part of our diet. So it is good and right to pray individually, but at the same time, it is also good and right for us to gather for the purpose of praying corporately. So please come join us and let's pray together. This leads us to verse 19 in our text when all of a sudden we see the source of Paul's confidence. Paul says here, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now notice here, Paul's source of confidence is both in the prayers of the people and also the sufficiency that comes from the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, I wonder, and we just read this earlier, I wonder if Paul had Job 13, verses 15 through 16 in mind, which reads, though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation. 
You see, whether it was Job in the Old Testament or Paul here in the New Testament, both men had the same confidence in knowing that no matter what God intended for them, he would be their salvation, or in Paul's words, he would be their deliverance. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, what does Paul mean when he uses the word deliverance? Now, I want you to know scholars have been debating this one back and forth for quite some time, and some believe that Paul was actually stating his confidence that he would soon survive his present moment and be reunited with the local church at Philippi. However, a majority of scholars believe that Paul was referring to his final salvation and was talking about the deliverance in the ultimate sense, which is going to make sense for us when we read our next few verses. Either way, we know this. Paul's confidence was in the sovereignty of God. Paul knew that he would be sustained by the prayers of the people, but that he would also be sustained by the Spirit of the Lord. And so this is why Paul could rejoice in the midst of his hardships. He knew and understood who his God was. And at the same time, he knew and understood that somewhere beyond his current circumstance, there was a body of believers who had gathered to specifically pray for him. You see, here's the question now we need to ask ourselves. Knowing, knowing that we are going to encounter hard times, Knowing that many of us have already been through hard times, many of us are are living in the midst of hard times, many of us may not realize it, but we, we may have some hard times coming. The question is, when the hard comes, in that moment, will we truly rely on the sufficiency of Christ Jesus our Lord? In that moment, will we be able to look at each other and say, yes, man, I truly believe in the power of prayer. Yes, I truly believe in the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ. Paul moves from there in the verses 20 and 21. He continues to press on with his goal for the future, and he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope. Now let's just pause there for a moment. You see, In this moment, Paul was telling us that he was not uncertain of his current moment. He was not uncertain of his his current circumstance. Rather, Paul's goal was to simply honor Christ. And as he continues, we see that his concern was not just for his reputation, but as he states, he says that I will not be caught, but not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, when the goal is to honor Jesus Christ above all else, when the goal is to honor Jesus forsaking all else, then you will begin to care more about the glory of God than your own glory. So as believers, we have the responsibility to show the world what is most important to us by how we speak and how we live. And so are we showing a watching world? Are we showing a watching world that we care and that our goal is to honor Christ? 
If you don't know the answer to that question, then let me give you a more practical question here. How is the goal of honoring Christ seen in how we serve one another? How is the goal of honoring Christ seen in how we serve the local church? Now we move from verse 20 and we get into verse 21, which is honestly one of the most popular verses in the Bible. I imagine many people in this room probably have verse 21 memorized. In fact, this this one verse has inspired multiple generations of Christians. And here's where Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now I'm gonna go ahead and be honest with you. Um, Sadly, I'm not sure if the word is here in the English standard um, is actually captures the full beauty of this text. Now that's not to say the Bible made a mistake. I think the uh, scholars went with the best word they could possibly go for because literally what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, look, living means Christ or living depends on Christ or rather living honors Christ. One way or another, what we see from this opening statement is that Paul had resolved it within himself that his life would be spent and poured out for the glory of Jesus Christ. And then notice what Paul then says. He then says, and if it's death, then dying is gain. Now, why would Paul say this? It's because Paul knew in death, he would be reunited with Christ. Paul knew that in death, he would go from living for Christ to now being with Christ. So as believers today, man, living for Jesus Christ not only takes the sting out of death because we now know where our present hope comes from, but it also makes death more attractive because we know what it means for the believer, and that is spending eternity with Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, I want you to think about that for a moment in terms of Paul. Paul under house arrest, shackled to a guard. Could you just imagine this conversation? I imagine he wasn't just with one guard all day. There were probably several guards stopping in uh, just to kind of check on what was going on. But just let me just kind of create this picture for you. So Paul's sitting there with several guards. I could just imagine them saying to Paul, hey, Paul, you're in prison and you're going to spend the rest of your days in this prison. And because we're in charge of you, you are going to suffer for the rest of your life. And if we look at verse 21, Paul says, hey, that's okay. That's fine for me because here I am living. And for me to live is to live for Christ. I imagine they probably looked at Paul and said, well, Paul, we want you to understand that we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you if you don't stop telling people about Jesus. And Paul also said, hey, you know what? That's also okay, because for me to die is gain, so let's go. One way or another, Jesus Christ will be glorified. Man, do you see what Paul's doing in verse 21? He is literally dropping the ultimate ultimatum, Okay. I don't know if that phrase makes sense. I didn't coin that phrase. I don't know who said it first. I'm going to take credit for it and it just sounds good. So, okay, go with me, all right? Paul's literally saying to us this morning and saying to these guards, hey, look, you want to kill me? You really want to take my life? Fine, fine, take my life because I will then be with Jesus Christ, my Lord, the one I've been telling you all about. But if you're going to let me live, then understand this. You say you're going to let me live? Fine, let's go, let's go. Because if I'm going to live... I will live for Jesus Christ. Man, I tell you, we talk in modern terms today about mic drop moments. This wasn't a mic drop moment for Paul. This was like a mic spike moment, okay? 
It'd be like the equivalent if I just grabbed uh, Forrest Mike over here and just slammed that thing on the stage. Corey would pass out. And then when he recovered, the worship team would probably jump me, okay? It'd be a good fight for a little bit. But that's probably what would happen. But this is what we see happening for Paul this morning. And so we have to ask ourselves, man, do we maintain the same goal that Paul now has? Is our goal to honor Christ Jesus with our lives or are we simply just going through the motions? You see, when we get the question of why we should rejoice, we should first answer by knowing, hey, we rejoice because our goal is to honor Christ Jesus with our lives. Paul moves on from there to his second point that we see in verses 22 through 26. And when answering the question of why we rejoice, Paul would say, because our hope is now to be with Jesus Christ. Now here again in verse 22 through 26, Paul is now opening his heart about his present situation. And so we're now seeing Paul begin the process, this whole moment, this whole, if I gotta choose life, if I gotta choose death, I don't really know how I'm gonna go with this. So after dropping this real truth bomb in verse 21, we now see Paul contemplate and struggle with what is best in his own life in verses 22 and 23. So I imagine Paul was literally saying, look, man, I know it will be fruitful for me to stay, but I am struggling with the choice here, living or dying. Both are good. Both, in my opinion, are wins. Which one do I want more? And then by the time we get to the second half of verse 23, Paul gives us his answer. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better Some would say, man, this really sounds morbid. I mean, if that's you this morning, please, please don't miss Paul's point here. You see, Paul knew without a doubt that death meant being with Christ. And if Jesus Christ and spending eternity with him is the ultimate goal for the believer, then why would you not want it? You see, Paul wanted more of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to be complete in Christ. Paul wanted to be closer to Christ. And Paul couldn't wait to see Jesus Christ. Now, hear me on this this morning, okay? No, this does not mean that Paul sat around and thought about death all day, every day, okay? Paul was not some sort of goth emo kid with long swoopy hair and skinny jeans listening to depressing music wondering about death that's not what he was doing some of y'all are laughing and looking around because you lived through that phase right some of y'all just nodded amen thank you for your affirmation I'm looking at some of you because we've had that conversation right I don't know how y'all did it I could never get into a pair of skinny jeans that would be horrible but you did God bless you now you're on the other side thank you for that Paul wasn't that guy Rather, Paul was simply thinking about being in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I think to better help us understand Paul's point this morning, we need to, we need to pay attention to the word depart that we see in the English Standard Version, okay? I would underline that word if you have the ESV or, or highlight it if it's in your translation, if you're one of those folks that makes notes in your Bible. But the word depart here is important. Because you see, when you look at the word depart in the Greek, this was actually a nautical term used to describe a ship setting loose its mooring, okay? Now, that may not make a whole lot of sense to you, but if you're with me this morning and you're like a visual learner, okay, I'm going to give you an illustration for a second. Do we have any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? 
Are you, look at y'all raising your hand like you're proud. God bless you. I love you. That's what I'm talking about, okay? All right, now I know I recognize that I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday who is literally reading through it for the first time and they're, and they're watching the movies as they read it, so I don't want to spoil anything for this person, but go with me if you've seen the movies or you've read the books. Do you know in the, the third movie in The Return of the King, you know, you know the scene with the boat at the end of the movie? You know what I'm talking about, right? Not at me, not at me. Okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have no idea what I'm talking about and you just shook your head at me, dude, shame on you. I'm serious, shame on you. Like, you really need to repent of that and go home and watch a movie, okay? Give yourself about two and a half, three hours and start watching those movies, okay? Or better yet, when the elders come forward before communion, come down and repent. Either way, get right with God and then go home and watch those movies or read the books, all right? Either way, notice what Paul wants us to do here. Keep that image in your mind because here's what Paul wants us to understand. Paul wants us to understand that death is not an enemy, for the Christian. Rather, death is like a boat, a boat that is setting sail, and it will take you to wherever you want to go. And so for Paul and for us today as believers, we want that boat to take us to Christ. We want that boat to set sail for an eternity with Jesus Christ our Lord. So as Christians this morning, man, we got to ask ourselves, and I'm encouraging you to do some self-reflection. Do we long to be with Christ? Do we long to see a new heaven? Do we long to see a new earth? Do we long to, to dwell with our Savior? My hope and prayer is that your answer is yes. But if your answer is no this morning, then man, can I tell you there is good news to be found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I'd love to talk to you about it. And in a few minutes when we close out, there's gonna be several brothers down here as well. They would love to talk to you about that as well. But if you're here today and your answer is yes, because you're a believer in Christ, then can I encourage you for a moment? I wanna encourage you to continue to endure with hope because the war is coming to an end. Because a day is coming where we will see Jesus. A day is coming where we will be with Jesus forever. Moving on in our text into verses 24 through 26. Clearly Paul knew that being with Christ was far better. However, Paul noted as long as he had breath in his lungs on this side of eternity, he was determined to live out his days for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the church. In fact, Paul says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You see, Paul believed that God had more work for him to do, and Paul believed that that work would benefit the local church. Now notice this about Paul. Paul is not saying at any moment that the whole world would fall apart if he decides to leave. But Paul did understand that the church needed him. The church needed people like him to serve. And so Paul said, I am going to stay and serve as long as there is breath in my lungs. And that is why I am living. And so we have to ask this morning, man, are we willing to say the same thing? Are we willing to say, man, as long as there is breath in my lungs, I will serve the Lord and I will continue in faithful service to the local church. Now, Paul continues in verse 25. 
He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, Paul's goal in this passage was not only to to be with Christ, but while he was still here, his goal was to see the church at Philippi continue to, to grow in their own faith. You see, Paul cared about their discipleship. And so Paul rejoiced in the growth of the local believers in the church at Philippi. So notice this about Paul. Paul was living on mission. Paul was sharing Jesus. Paul was making the gospel known to the nations. And at the same time, Paul was discipling the local church. You see, for Paul... Evangelism and missions and discipleship went together. You cannot have one or the other. These things, missions and evangelism and discipleship, they are not mutually exclusive from one another, but rather they're like the cogs in a clock or the wheels in a clock. They they spin together opposite of each other, but they're what makes the clock move. So you see, as Christians, we have got to care about evangelism. We have got to care about mission and taking the gospel to the nations. And yet at the same time, we have to care about the discipleship of those in our midst. We have to care about the growth of those in our church. You see, this was a both and kind of moment. Now we get to verse 26, and here we see Paul's ultimate goal for the local church at Philippi. You see, Paul wanted to see them grow in their confidence in Christ Jesus. And so he says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see, Paul wanted the church to grow in their confidence. He wanted them to grow in their work that they were doing, their fruitful work that they'd been called to. And at the same time, he wanted them to grow in order to have more joy in Christ. So Paul was ministering to the local church in order for them to grow in their desire both to honor Christ and to hope and long for or long to be with Christ in eternity. You see, even though Paul's desire was heavenward, If the Lord willed it, Paul was willing to put it all on hold for the ultimate joy of serving others in order for them to grow. And so we need to to take stock of this this morning as believers. Do we willingly lay aside our own desires in order to see to the growth of others? How have we served the local body of believers this past week, maybe this past month? Have we been willing to step in and help when help was asked for? Now let me unpack this for a moment, okay? This has been a wild, wild week in my life. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Others of you don't. Um, I'm going to share those details a little bit later. I don't think they're necessary for the sermon, okay? 
But I had to, just a long story short, I had to take a family emergency trip out of town uh, with some things that were happening in my family. So I have been in Atlanta uh, for most of this week. And so I'm thankful for our leaders. I'm thankful for our elders and for Pastor Corey and for all those who've been willing to step in in my place while I was absent. And while there, I'm going to go ahead and tell you one of the hardest things to do is to sit in the midst of a family emergency, in the midst of a family crisis, and try to write a sermon on joy. Okay, that was hard. All right. Like, I think I rewrote this thing four or five times. I'm going to be quite honest with you. At the end of this, I'm probably going to look at Allison and say, did any of that even make sense? Like, I don't even know at this point. Okay. But here's a reality I want us to unpack about service. And I heard this from a pastor. I had several pastor friends who called me this week and man, they were good and gracious. They had, they called me to ask me some other questions that had nothing to do with my situation. But then I shared with them and they prayed with me. And uh, man, it was just a powerful thing. But I was listening to these pastors talk. And it made me think of this message and it made me think of this question and this thought, man, too often times as a church, too often as a church, man, we look at our church and say, all these areas of service, man, this is the pastor's job. I had a pastor tell me this week, he was like, you know, brother, I'm doing this, 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 and this. And I was like, dude, where's your deacons? Where's your leaders? He's like, man, I don't want to step up and serve. I'm like, how can you be a Christian and not serve? Like, that don't make no sense to me. But that's what he told me. And unfortunately, what I've learned is this is the reality for a lot of our pastors. But here's the reality for us today, man. A lot of us in this room may even say, we look at the church, we see what's happening. We say, hey, it's the pastor's job to fix that. Or, or in our case, if I can be a little more specific, we say, hey, it's the, the elder's job to fix that. Okay. And man, here's what I want to say to you. If that's you this morning, then maybe Christ has taken this moment to say, no, this thing that you've realized, this is your job. I've called you to it. And you too are called to serve me with joy. You see, if the goal is to be with Christ, if that is the ultimate goal, to be with Christ, then how is our service in the church pointing people to that goal? As a church today, and I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about a body of believers, okay? Can I just, mm, can I just tell you something that really frustrates me sometimes? Dude, it frustrates me when I get an announcement sheet every week And it frustrates me when I look at that announcement sheet and I see the same announcement four weeks in a row asking for volunteers. Isn't that what we're called to? Aren't we called to serve the local church? And again, don't mishear the word church here. Let me me just change it. Aren't we called to serve the body of believers for the glory of God? Isn't that what Paul just told us? You see, as a church this morning, our ultimate goal is clearly to be with Christ. But like Paul says, as long as we have breath in our lungs, then our goal should be to make him known and to glorify him through how we serve not only him, but how we serve one another for his glory. Man, when you read this text again, clearly, clearly when Paul met Jesus, That man's life changed. Paul went from being passionate about the death of believers to all of a sudden passionate about Jesus Christ and even passionate about his own death. Man, there is no doubt who Paul was living his life for. You see, Paul went hard after righteousness for Jesus Christ. 
Paul went hard for the new life that Jesus can give. And for Paul, everything else was far inferior compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. So again, I want to ask you this morning, man, what is the meaning of life? What will we do to live? How will you spend the next month or the next three months or the next six months or a year or three years or five years? Man, I believe Paul would answer that question by saying this. Listen, if you ask me how I'm going to spend my life, I'm going to spend my life rejoicing in the Lord because I recognize that the meaning of life is to be spent on the hope of being with Christ and the goal of honoring him with our lives, both in action and word. And this is what would lead Paul, coming back to the second half of verse 18, it would lead him to say, yes, and I will rejoice. So what about us this morning? What is our hope? What is our goal? What do we as believers rejoice in? You see, here's a truth that I think we've all come to grips with, and if you haven't, we just need to accept this morning. Everybody wants to live. Everybody wants to live. At the same time, everybody, I imagine everybody in this room, everyone would say they want to know that their life counted. And yet the reality is every one of us know that one day we will die. But through it all, the only life worth living is the life that seeks to make much of the one who conquered it all. And one day soon, man, like Paul, my prayer for us as believers in this room is that we would be able to say like Paul, hey, to be with Christ is far better and yes in my life as long as there is breath I will rejoice so let's rejoice together living for Christ spending every breath for the glory of Christ and knowing that in death for the believer there is gain we have much to be thankful for. We have much to look forward to. A joyful reunion awaits us. Let's pray together.